Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Dating as a single parent does not mean that you're looking for a new co-parent. Most single parents are looking to just have fun and meet new people without any pressure or judgment. But it's really hard to do that if you're not meeting like-minded people who are experiencing the same thing you are. Stir is the number one dating app designed for single parents. Stir is a place where being a single parent is your strength. And STIR is where you can relax and be yourself, not just a parent, not just a snack supplier. STIR is where you don't have to apologize for having a hectic schedule. Your kids go to bed at eight and you don't have to. One of my single mom friends just met someone who felt like her schedule was too tricky for them to go out. And I thought, Well, this is exactly why STIR is here, because the last thing that you need to add to your plate is worrying about someone's schedule that you're dating and worrying that you have to explain that you have a lot going on. So give this a try, because being a single parent, you deserve to have connection, because I know how important it is to make connections and feel seen and taken care of and having fun and flirting and remembering that it's nice to kind of get dressed once in a while. Stir is the app designed for parents who just happen to be single. Download Stir or tell your single friends to try it out. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is with Dr. Pooja Lakshmi, who is a psychiatrist who specializes in women's mental health. She's a clinical professor of psychiatry at George Washington University School of Medicine and the founder of Gemma. And she just wrote a book called Real Self-Care. And what I love about this is that, you know, the subtitle is Crystal Cleanses, Bubble Baths Not Included. And I just thought that was so important for us to hear about because real self-care is associated with so many important outcomes for both parent and child. And oftentimes, real self-care and faux self-care get so mixed up that it drives us totally bonkers. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to write a little review and give it a five-star rating. DM me, of course, with any questions on at Raising Good Humans podcast. And also, you can subscribe to my Substack, drlisapressman.substack.com. And of course, 
Don't forget to subscribe to my Apple Premium content. This month, in fact, is on mindfulness for busy parents. I really was intrigued by the story of kind of how you got to where you got to. Can you tell us how you came to coming to terms with what real self-care is and mental wellness and kind of that process because it was fascinating? Yeah, absolutely. And first, I'll just say that I'm so excited to be here and to have the opportunity to share about my work with you and have this conversation. So I am a perinatal psychiatrist by training. I specialize in women's mental health. Most of my clinical practice is moms that are struggling with things like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, that type of stuff. And and I'm on the clinical faculty at George Washington University. And and I have a women's mental health company, Gemma, that I started a couple of years ago. But and, and I'm 39 years old now and doing all this, all this work. And about a decade ago, when I was in my late 20s, I basically blew up my life, for lack of a better term. So at that point, I think I was like, you know, 27, 28, I had sort of followed all the rules. I had done all the things that I was supposed to do as as a good Indian girl. You know, I'm South Asian. My parents are immigrants. And it was sort of like, okay, like go to the Ivy League schools, become a doctor, get married, do all the stuff. And I kind of, I checked off all the boxes and I found myself after I checked all the boxes, kind of being like, okay, well, now I'm allowed to figure out how to be happy. Like now I can try and be happy, right? And and I realized that I had no idea how. Not only did I have no idea that I was also just really empty on the inside or that it was like it just it I was really broken, even though everything on the outside kind of filled all the boxes. And then on top of this, and you'll appreciate this, you know, kind of I was in my psychiatry training as a resident and you know, I had become a doctor because I thought that I was going to be helping people. And, and I did have obviously like a very idealized notion of what medical professionals could actually do. But, you know, it was like I would have a patient come in to the ER and they would be unhoused, you know, and it was like, well, I can give you Zoloft, but like that's not going to get you housing or a patient who, you know, was losing her job because she had lost childcare like four times in a month and she was getting fired. And it's sort of like, okay, well, we can do therapy, but like, that's not necessarily going to fix the problem. So I was really, really angry, just really angry. And I, so I was just like, all right, I'm just going to break everything. So I left my marriage. I moved into a commune in San Francisco that um, was focused on female orgasm and sexuality and meditation. And then pretty quickly after that, I dropped out of my residency program. And, you know, my parents were like, my Indian parents were like so happy with me. They, you know, they were sure. just like, and, and, you know, I'd been like valedictorian of my high school class, was always like top of, top of all of the lists. And so even my friends, everyone was like, what happened to Pooja? Like what's going on? And so I spent two years really sort of going down the rabbit hole of like what I call woo-woo wellness, just like all of the spiritual stuff, like Eastern medicine, you know, and with this group, I had the opportunity to do research at the Rutgers Orgasm Lab. And so Rutgers and Newark, yeah. Newark actually, right, they have an fMRI lab, one of two in the world where, what? yeah, they put people in MRI machines and look at their brains while they're having orgasms, which was really cool, you know. So, but ultimately by the end of those two years, I realized that there are just as many hypocrisies and contradictions in the wellness world and in Eastern medicine or quote unquote spirituality as there are in mainstream medicine. And that ultimately 
real wellness has to come from within. Like it's not something that a wellness practice can give you. It's not something that a diet can give you or an exercise or a guru. Like it's always going to be inside your own life, inside your own decision making. And that's like deeply heartbreaking and difficult and hard. <laughs> it's a hard lesson to learn. And but it also ultimately, you know, this book, Real Self Care, my first book, like it's also, I think, a deeply empowering message because it's like, no, like you, you can come to this. You can find this wherever you are. And so, you know, that was like 2013. And so then I spent the next like decade basically rebuilding myself and rebuilding my life. And, you know, I went into psychoanalysis. I was on like on the couch in analysis for almost seven years, you know, so how to do a lot of my own healing. And so real self-care is kind of a culmination of all of that. No, not, not only what I've learned clinically in terms of my training and with my patients, but also just like a deeply personal sort of journey. I can imagine that being in, you know, having gone through medical school and in your residency and then leaving and getting full circle back to what you had come into medical school to do, but with a completely wider lens had to have been an exhausting and heartbreaking experience, but so much gave you such a richer practice for your patients now, which everybody else can benefit from, I assume. Maybe give us a sense of how you define real self-care, and then we can go into the four core principles of real self-care because it feels like this is actually, to your point, empowering because the onus is on us and we can control nothing but ourselves. And so I do think that's an empowering message, even if it is a little hard to figure out what to do with. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of the crux of my framework is that Faux self-care, whether that's like getting a massage or, you know, going to a yoga class, like those are methods and methods are great. But real self-care is the principles, which have much wider applicability, right? And are things that you can turn to and guide your decision making no matter what stage of life you're in. So like a perfect example is a patient who says, you know, Dr. Lakshman, like I finally worked up the nerve to take an afternoon off from work with all the craziness of life and like scheduled a massage for myself and, you know, dropped $200 to get this massage. And then I'm on the massage table and the whole time I'm just worried about my to-do list or worried about all the stuff that I need to get done. And then when I finish, I come back to my desk and I feel like I need to make up for that hour of lost productivity. Mm. And it's like the reason we feel this way, the reason that faux self-care has become a chore and just another thing to feel guilty about is because we're not doing that principal work, like that internal work of allowing ourselves to actually have the massage. And that principal work is the really hard work because that is based on unwinding yourself from systems of oppression. So things like white supremacy and, you know, end stage capitalism and sexism, right? Like all of these processes and sort of structural inequities that are baked into every single aspect of our lives. Like so often we don't recognize that we're sort of living within the soup of all of those structures. So the principles are, are like not anything revolutionary. They're sort of all of the same things that 
all of us mental health professionals talk about. So, you know, so principle one is setting boundaries and learning to deal with your guilt. Principle two is developing self-compassion in the way that you talk to yourself. Principle three is sort of, it, that's where the crux is. It's like getting clear on your values and making decisions in line with your values. And I'll say, and maybe you might agree with this, like sort of like that's the place that my patients struggle the most because it's like when you actually make space, and especially if you're a mom yep. who spends all of your time pouring into your family, it's sort of like, well, what do I even like? Like, what would I even do? Like, you know, it's you just go blank. So that's like the crux of it. And then the fourth bit is like that recognizing and acknowledging that this is actually power. Like, in changing the way that we make decisions and how we spend our time, that is how we take our power back from these systems of oppression. You know, Audre Lorde self- said that self-care is self-preservation, right? So this is really about like the radical act of allowing yourself to be the person that you really are, despite all of these structures, whether the structure is like, you know, you're your terrible academic job or whether the structure is, you know, a family system that doesn't acknowledge your humanity or whether the structure is, you know, a corporate environment, whatever it is, is like sort of reclaiming your ability to take up space inside that. And from there, when you are coming from a place of power and agency, if you're somebody who does have privilege in certain areas of your life, putting that back into your community, right? Because essentially like real self-care is about like a, a lot of the exercises and sort of like thought, I guess thought exercises in the book are actually like more like questions. It's not me telling you what to do. It's more about like looking at how you show up in your relationships because like as you talk about on your show, like this is all about like interpersonal relationships, you know? whether it's with your kids or your partner or your colleagues or in your community in other ways. And like, how do we all treat ourselves better and like treat the people that we care about better? And now a quick break so I can remind you to use ZocDoc. Nothing's more important to your child than making sure that their caregiver is cared for. And You have to take the time to go to the doctor to get your annual screenings, to check something out that you've been worried about. And TikTok and Instagram are not the place to find out the causes for your symptoms. So instead of stumbling down a rabbit hole full of questionable advice, go to ZocDoc to help you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care that you need and deliver the type of experience you want. ZocDoc helps you find a doctor who's available, who's near you, who takes your insurance, and who's highly rated. So you don't need to get information from bad resources or pick your doctors based on what your friends tell you. Although maybe you've got a friend who's giving you good advice, but perhaps their doctor doesn't take your insurance. So many options. Just go to ZocDoc so you can find a quality doctor who can focus on you listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Get a head start on spring cleaning with Caraway. Their thoughtfully designed sets and complimentary storage make getting and staying organized easier than ever. They look so good. I love them so much. I actually have pretty much all of Caraway's supplies. 
Caraway is high-quality ceramic-coated kitchenware, and it's free of Teflon, lead, cadmium, and other toxic materials. Caraway kitchenware comes in a variety of chic shades, and all sets include complimentary and easy-to-access storage solutions. And the ceramic's naturally slick surface means minimal oil or butter for slide-off-the-pan eggs and easy cleaning. I am not the greatest cook in the world, as my children will tell you, but I sure love the cookware that I have. I figured if I get really good stuff, it'll motivate me more. Visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for my listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans10 or use the code HUMANS10 at checkout. Visit carawayhome.com slash HUMANS10 to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. They look so good. I love them so much. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. I do worry that there is something about the self-care, the faux self-care movement that has actually made actual self-care some other form of life that does not exist for a mother and that will come to us later when we have time. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because, right, that's like always the thing with this. It's part of the reason that I really like being a perinatal psychiatrist because when moms break and it is impacting their kids, that's when they finally will come to see me, right? When it's impacting somebody else, (laughs) that's when you're motivated. And like what I'm, what we're trying to say is like, but wait, you can do it even if nobody else is suffering or, you know, other people probably are suffering, but you're just not totally acknowledging it if you're in that martyr mode state. You know, I think like also my answer to that is that one of the reasons that I believe so strongly in this message is because it's not another thing to do. It's actually just, we all have our to-do lists, right? We all have to keep the show running. Like I have a nine-month-old who currently has hand, foot, and mouth right now, so he's not oh. in daycare. So, you know, Sorry. like it's, it's like, it's just, it's all, you know, we're, it's not like we can just be like, Sorry, guys, I'm going to stay in bed today. That's right. And that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm saying like in the things that you have to do, can you be more of yourself? And so like, I'm even thinking of this myself as I'm, you know, launching my first book into the world and like having these conversations. And, you know, for me, one of my values is, I don't know if the word is authenticity. Cause I hate, I feel like that's like kind of an annoying word, but it's all, it's, but it's, it's but something it's a good one, <laughs> but it's something <laughs> about like, yeah, yeah. Like maybe something about like being myself. And so like myself right now is the fact that things are, very chaotic in my life as a mom. And also in that, like I have a patient right now who is going through just a very, very traumatic, terrible experience in something as a mom. And and I'm like holding a lot of that space for her. And that's hard. You know, so it's it's sort of like showing up as imperfect and being okay with that, not pretending like I have all the answers because the truth is, and, and this is where my wellness journey, I think, feels so productive, despite it being so traumatic, is that there is no one answer. Like we're not claiming that this is easy or that there's one right answer. It's actually just that there's like, you still have to do all the stuff, but can you show up in a way for that stuff that feels feels more like you instead of just like 
being stuck in the role of what you think you're supposed to be playing or what society is telling you you're supposed to be playing as a mom. And I think it's so important to highlight that there really isn't one right answer and that any script for the right answer is this short-term satisfaction sales pitch that wouldn't actually work in the long term. And it happens in this field all the time because, I mean, with all things parenting, there's no right answer. There's just guides and, and things that align with your values. Like when you match the science and your values, I think you can get to a really great place of feeling confident in your decision-making, but there's no one set of values that's even right for people. So that wouldn't, so it would never make sense to me. It never does to offer the answer. And it's so much more helpful to be asked the right questions so that you can come up with the answer. And I think when you combine that with science and medicine, I, I feel great about it. <laughs> but it is less appealing sometimes because it feels like, wait, I have that much agency. <laughs> like sometimes you just want to know that there's a right and a wrong answer because it's easier to then act. But it is so much more beneficial to have this conversation in the context of figuring out who you are and what your needs are and recognizing that that path is going to be unique for each of us. One thing that I thought would be helpful for people is I've noticed that boundaries is a very confusing concept. And it's happened over the years that people once in a while admit, I don't really understand what boundaries are, so I don't know that I know how to set them. And since boundaries are so important for parenting and boundaries are so important for self-care and your first principle, I thought you could kind of give us a little bit of a shortcut to to real understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So first, I just want to respond to what you said. And I really appreciate that. I feel like we are on the same wavelength, that it's not about necessarily any one answer. It's more just about asking yourself the right questions and different yeah. questions. Right. And then, and then you get to decide and you see what comes up and, and that often takes more time and reflection and space. And especially if you're somebody who has little kids, right. And is mm -hmm. juggling a million different things. Sometimes it can feel easier to get like the answer or the script or whatever, but in the long run, doing some of this kind of more sustained decision-making work can be helpful in terms of just like staying with you, right? Yeah. Because each time you work through it, it stays with you. So boundaries. So the way in real self-care, I describe boundaries as the pause. So your boundary is in your pause. And I think, I, again, like I don't think this is, this is not anything revolutionary. Like lots of people talk about boundaries. And I do this all the time, by the way. I'm always <laughs> like, but... Just to be clear, everything that I'm saying is not revolutionary. Yeah. And I know that that doesn't sell things as much, but it is actually true that these are just frameworks that is that they're important to be familiar with. And however that message is received and from whatever voice makes most sense to you is great. But I am always mind blown when people claim that any of this is revolutionary because I'm like, oh, it's not really revolutionary. It's been around for decades, just not necessarily translated in a way that has made sense for right. the individuals or the systems. Right. Carry on. The, yeah. The way that I talk about in the book is actually I, I share a little anecdote from one of my mentors and my supervisor, who's the director of our 
women's mental health clinic at GW. Her name is Dr. Lisa Catapano. So when I first started on the faculty in 2016, she took me out to lunch and I had been a resident there. So she, you know, knew me as a trainee and I was in this like kind of transition from like child to quote unquote adult, if you will. And her, her advice was like, you don't need to answer your phone you can let your phone go to voicemail. And this is like the office phone, you know, in the, and I was like, what? Like that was blowing my mind because I had been a resident and a med student before that. And and this was like in the olden days when we had pagers and beepers. I don't think people even use those anymore in a hospital. I'm not sure because I'm all outpatient now, but right. Their cell. Their cell. Right. And so, you know, and at that time it was like, no, you get paged and you answer immediately. Right. Like, But she was like, no, you let it go to voicemail and you listen to what they want. And like maybe it's the front desk saying they have some paperwork that you need to sign or maybe it's a patient who needs a refill or maybe it is somebody that has a genuine emergency. But the boundary is in saying that I'm going to wait and then I'm going to think about it and then I'm going to respond. Right. And then I get to decide like, oh, I'll tell the front desk that I'll come around at the end of the day. Oh, I'll do this patient refill like after I take care of one other task or if it is emergency, I'll call them right back. So your boundary actually is in the decision. Like you get to decide, are you going to say yes? Are you going to say no? Are you going to negotiate? So that for me, like really helped shift my thinking operationally because it was like a very concrete example of a way that I changed my behavior but also kind of like clearly delineating it's in the space. And then of course, like, like we all talk about, then you don't have any control over the other person's reaction or like a patient gets angry at me that I didn't pick up the phone right away. Like that's, that's their thing. And that's, I help them regulate that or figure out how to manage that. But that's a separate process from the act of making my own choice, which I'm the only one who can do. And now I'm going to tell you about this really cool sponsor, Inside Tracker. So obviously, I care about regular medical care and testing and health optimization. So I'm very excited to share this sponsor with you. They can help you live your longest, healthiest life. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. So they use data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers. Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science-backed recommendations on things you can take control of to optimize your health. Foods that you eat, movements that you do, exercise, workouts, lifestyle choices, sleeping well. I can imagine my doctor listening right now who reminds me constantly to keep on moving and making good choices. Inside Tracker tests and provides optimal ranges for over 40 biomarkers. And what's very cool is that they do use science-backed approaches to everything, and they provide recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash humans. So if you are ready to get crystal clear on the picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit insidetracker.com slash humans. Do you have a busy schedule by any chance? Uh, of course you do. Sakara delivers ready-to-eat plant-rich meals that help you feel your best. 
even during those weeks of back-to-back meetings, work, kids, events, just so many things and keeping your energy high with science-backed, nutritionally designed meals that you can look forward to eating and put literally no effort into is pretty great. Sakara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. They're ready-to-eat meals that are nutritionally designed to deliver results, ease bloat and boost energy, and clear skin. And it's more than just a meal delivery program. It's like having a personal nutritionist and chef in one. These meals are expertly designed to support your goals, whether it's clear skin or boosted energy, and they're just delicious. And I'm always looking for hacks to make my week easier. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash humans or enter the code humans at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash humans to get 20% off your first order, sakara.com slash humans. I decided I wanted to reset and I wanted to have it all mapped out for me and not have to think about it. And Sakara really came through. You have to get to know yourself and figure out what your needs are and what your values are, what your personal mission statement is, which is why I think the other principle of values makes so much sense. And I feel the same way again in parent making parenting decisions. If you don't know what your North Star is, how can you possibly? You could, I guess you could keep asking questions of others to get to the right answer. But if you have a a sense of your values, then you can have a North Star to go to every time. And you can ask yourself, well, if these are my values, how will I set this boundary? How, what will, what will I do to respond to this situation? In that pause, you can make sense of your values and, or remind yourself. So how can we find our core values. Yeah. So one of the things that I've found clinically, and I'm curious if you would agree with this, I think when you ask people, what are your values? Everybody either sort of like freezes up or you just get sort of like the canned answer. Well, like I really care about compassion or like I really value connection, right? Which is, you know, it's like, okay, great. But like, let's get to like sort of the deeper things. So um, he's looking and it's just for you. Right. When nobody's looking, it's just for you. There's no pressure. So the so the thought exercises in the book are actually like trying to take you to sort of like low stakes situations to allow yourself to just like loosen up and have fun with it. And so one of the examples is like, okay, you have $200 to plan a dinner party. What is your dinner party going to look like? And that's just kind of like a little fantasy exercise. I think it's really easy with that example to see like every single person on the planet right. is going to have a completely different dinner party. Like, are you going to have everyone sit in a circle and play truth or dare? Are you going to make it a potluck? Is there going to be a theme? And then kind of like letting yourself reflect on that of like, okay, well, what pieces of that experience, like what matters to me? Like, are you somebody who says, if I have a dinner party, I just want to look around the room and make sure that everybody is laughing, that people are really having fun. So maybe like a value is silliness, right? And if that's the case, the real self-care work then is like threading that into 
in this example, like in your parenting decisions, right? So maybe you are a family or a person or parent who is like, okay, it's actually really important on Saturdays for us to have like very unstructured blocks of time where we can be spontaneous, right? And we can just do whatever feels really fun for us, right? But maybe you're somebody in doing that exercise that the value that came out is something around connection, right? Or like meaning, you know, maybe you're like, I want to see everybody in like really deep conversations with each other. And so then you can kind of think about, okay, well, what, what is, what are some decisions in parenting that I can make to set the structure to create those types of experiences for my kids? Right. So it's less about like, again, it's not so real self-care isn't like, oh, I'm going to get a 15 minute massage or 15 minute meditation. It's more like I'm figuring out what really matters. And it might be surprising to you what those values are. And then how do you sort of thread those into the way that you live your life? And that that's in parenting. That's also in terms of like the career that you have, you know, your relationships, right? It fits in all these all these different slots. And like a yoga class can't do that. Before anybody kind of comes at me for bashing yoga, though, I will say that not it's not that – Right, right. It's not that, that yoga is bad or any of these things are bad. It's all about the how and like what you bring to it. Like one person could be really engaging in nourishing practices with yoga or meditation, if they're taking the time to set the boundaries and understand why this practice really is important to them and showing up mindfully in that way. Whereas another person could be just like, you know, checking yoga off the list and worried the whole time whether they're wearing the right Lululemon leggings and, you know, kind of like focused on whether their headstand is better than everybody else's headstand. And that's a very different yoga class experience. So when I first started, I do meditate and okay. the, re the reason I meditate and it, my meditation practice is incredibly unsexy and <laughs> simple, but I will say that the reason that I meditate some days only for one minute, I just have a commitment to sit and that is my intention <laughs> to have a, that moment, but it can be 20 minutes. It can be one minute. I don't care, but I will say that two things that I noticed in that practice. One is that the only reason I do it is for pause. It's the only reason I do it is to have, the, to exercise the muscles, to set the boundaries. So that has been particularly helpful for me. But I will say that when I started it, I spent most of the time years just berating myself for being unable to waste that kind of time. <laughs> <laughs> like in my head, I was like, this is not productive. And also here are the 80 things I have to do. So now I'm actually being hard on myself because I'm bad at it. Now that was years ago and that is no longer how it serves me. So it has become incredibly beneficial, but I think your point makes it quite easy for us to distinguish between the red flag self-care in quotes and the real self-care and and so if these strategies or tools work for you, great. But if they are moving you in the opposite direction, like you're focused on comparing your headstand, that did nothing for you that was anything but checking that box and possibly at a minimum, like at the, the part where it wouldn't be harmful, it would just be like neutral. And then the harmful part would be, and I use harmful too loosely here probably, but let's call it little h harmful would be if you're 
using it against yourself. Like it's actually a practice of self-care that is the opposite of serving you. And that's what I'm hearing from you. That was my really long-winded way of saying that. But what I wanted to ask is then how we use that to look at this other principle, core principle. So I'm going out of order of your principles, but self-compassion. Yeah, I want to answer that. I'm also just curious if we could take a pit stop because I'm wondering, I'm curious what changed for you with meditation? Like what got you through the from the place of beating yourself up to actually having it feel generative? I think probably two things changed for me. One, I think with age, (laughs) I genuinely feel a deep sense of a kindness towards myself that I wouldn't have that. So, so time went by and I was Mm -hmm. more able to say like, this doesn't make, this can't be right. It can't be right that you're supposed to do this in a particular way when nobody owns the inside of anybody's mind or brain. So like, I think I started to just have faith in the, in the fact that like all things, they have to be deeply personal to us. And if I'm thinking about my to-do list or criticizing myself, that's probably, I'm probably not the only person who's having this experience and I could just make note of it and then come on back to whatever breath I'm doing or whatever words I'm saying. The second thing that happened was I learned a meditation practice that was maybe a four minute meditation practice, but it brought me, I don't know, this ease and like, it felt like very kind and it's loving kindness meditation, Mm -hmm. just kind of emphasizing like I picturing someone else and mm-hmm. saying, you know, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into it now. But mm-hmm. all of these sort of wishes for this other person and for myself and for mm-hmm. the collective and for the bigger world, like it, it, it was iterative. And I thought, well, this feels like if I had prayers, this would be my prayer for everybody. I just happened to not be a praying kind of lady. But I, I think finding an actual language to the meditation helped. And then also somebody said to me, a teacher just said that there was not going to, I should let go of the goal of being really good at meditation. (laughs) Like (laughs) I should just assume. Stop trying to win at meditation. (laughs) Yeah. Like that that should not be in my, yes, I've achieved these, the following things. And I don't know why I listened to it, but that resonated with me. And that was it. But it took years because of a certain personality type probably that was like, now I'm going to, I heard meditation's really <laughs> good for your health and well-being and self-regulation and all of these amazing things. So I'm going to win at meditation and I'm just going to be, and I remember like making my little kids do it at the time they were little. <laughs> and I remember we were in bed, the three of us, and I was like, we're going to do a body scan and we're going to start with the bottom of our toes. And I start doing it and they both are making jokes with each other and making fun of me basically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, girls, we are meditating. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, after I did that, they both started laughing and I, I started laughing because I was like, oh, right. Okay. I have officially made a mockery of myself. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So I think all of those things kind of combined got me past that point. And now, if anything, I, if I'm having a wackadoo thought, during my one to 20 minute meditation practice, I'll giggle and move along with my day. 
Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. that's I don't know if that answers it. It does. And and I am a big fan of Tara Brock. So, you know, I feel oh, like okay. this is like right, go. you know, and it, to me like what you just described, it if I can be so bold, I feel like it's almost like applying real self-care to meditation, right? Like sort of like finding yeah. the values aligned like school of meditation per se that kind of fits your personality and what clicks with you bringing compassion to yourself in how you're doing it, you know, and I think that's, that's, a, well, your original question was like, how, do, how do we come to compassion? Like what, and you know, my definition of compassion in the book is very much based on Kristen Neff's work, right? So we're talking about yeah. like psychological yeah. flexibility, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not about like chanting mantras. It's more about just like, developing a new relationship with your mind, developing a different relationship with your thoughts and just opening up that space to question those self-critical thoughts and like not believing that you can ever get rid of them, right? Because they're always there, whether it's like the guilt or whatever it is. But, you know, when you focus on trying to get rid of them, you're just actually giving them more oxygen. So instead just allowing yourself to sort of have the space for them to be there, but you don't have to give them so much meaning. You can just still continue to take values aligned action. You know, so much of this is coming from acceptance and commitment therapy, right? Like that we can sort of focus on what we have control over. And yes, there will be so much in the world, in our environment, in our even in our family life sometimes that is totally out of our control and is really devastating. And, and that's the condition of being human, right? Like we all live there sometimes and that we can still like the goal is always, as I've been talking about this, I'm realizing like so much of this actually does line up with mindfulness and that the goal is always to like try and come back to a place of agency in whatever it is, whether it's in your parenting, whether it's in your work life. And like, yeah, there are going to be times where it feels like, okay, the world is on fire. Everything's terrible. There was just another, you know, mass shooting or whatever the horrible tragedy is, you know, there's always another thing. And so it's not like we're saying real self-care is going to fix that. Cause like, no, it's not, (laughs) It won't. but, but it, what it will do is like, it's sort of like, well, no, like how can we stay in a place to engage and like make our own choices personally from a place of compassion for ourselves and a place of agency. And then again, like that mindfulness piece and you will always fall off and you will have days where like, you're like, well, I'm just going to doom scroll and like, and that's okay. That's going to happen. And then you just come back. Right. And like, that's it forever. So (laughs) like, that's all there is. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.